you're the guy that needs to lead by example. You have to be the hardest worker on the field. You have to be the most engaged guy off the field. Welcome to the Lax Goalie Rat Podcast. Every week, we'll be talking shop with lacrosse goalies, coaches, and special guests. This is the Lax Goalie Rat Podcast. Now your host, Coach Damon Wilson. Aww, yeah, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, goalies from around the world, welcome to the Lax Goalie Rat Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Damon Wilson, and this is the podcast 100% dedicated to the best position in sports. That is the lacrosse goalie. And on this show, my job is really simple. It's find the best coaches, the best goalies, the best athletes in our sport, interview them, find out what makes them so great. What are the mindsets that they have? What are some things that they do that we can incorporate into our own game? We are back with the, not the first episode of 2022, but the first well, it is. It is. It's the first episode of 2022. I actually recorded this in 2021, but first episode of 2022, we are back. I remember in 2007, I was on YouTube searching for lacrosse goalie training videos, and I came across a video from the guest of this episode. It's Coach Chris Burdick. I had no idea who he was at the time because the video wasn't labeled but I knew that what he was saying really resonated with me. The way he was thinking about this position really made tons of sense for me, and I loved his videos. I consumed everything that he had. Fast forward some 15 years later, I tracked him down and had this conversation that you're about ready to hear today. It's an awesome episode. He's an amazing goldie mind, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Coach Chris Burdick. Before we begin this episode, I want to read a word from our sponsor, and that is my own Lacrosse Goalie Summit. We just concluded in December of 2021 the Lacrosse Goalie Summit 5, where 17 of the best coaches, best goalie minds in our sport came together to give amazing presentations on different aspects of the position. If you are listening to this right now and you want to become a better goalie for your 2022 season, Here's what you should do. Go to GoalieSummit.com, and you can still get access to all 17 of those videos. You can even get access to all of the videos from the first four Lacrosse Goalie Summits. That's over 80 hours of training on all the different topics that you need to make your game better, to become a better goalie, better leader, someone your teammates can trust, have more confidence in the net. That's what these Goalie Summits are all about. So go check them out, www.goaliesummit.com, and I guarantee you'll become a better lacrosse goalie. Now, let's enjoy the episode. Oh, cool. Well, let's get started. I know uh, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. I don't want to talk about every everything that we got for the podcast, but uh, I am here with Chris Burdick, uh, goalie himself out of Delaware, um, starting a program in, in Florida. We'll, we'll get into that. MLL experience, championship with the Bayhawks. Chris, what, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. I appreciate it, Damon. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Well, this is going to be tons of fun. You know, the first time I, I, I met you in quotation marks was a, was a YouTube video uh, that really clicked with me. It was like way back when, when you're coaching at, at Providence, and I don't know if it was like a camp or, or what you were doing, but, um, you know, it, it was one of the only things on YouTube 
that just really broke down the save movement in such a clear and concise manner. And that really clicked with me. So thank you for putting that out there. And, um, and thank you for, you know, there, there's other instructional videos that you've done that I really love. So thank you for putting those out there. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm glad you were able to find that. That That's an archive beauty. But yeah, that was a camp we ran at, at, at Providence. And um, when we do our goalie teaching, Rob Chambers, who was a goalie for me at Providence, was part of that staff. And we've gone and done things out in, in Oregon and in Washington. And, you know, the save technique, the way we break it down is a little bit unique. It's, it's, it's a piece and part of everybody that I work with. I used to work a lot with Charlie Toomey in the summers doing the 205 camps. He and I would be down with the goalies and we would always grab one goalie afterwards and we would just work them. I remember John Tillman, uh, you know, um, we, you know, we, we used to like talk a lot about different, you know, goalie techniques and, and just how we break it down. And I felt Charlie Toomey was one of the guys that like really connected with me on how he does it. Um, mm -hmm. And so from there, we just kind of, I kind of pieced together just what I call um, straight line, save tech technique theory. And it's really about efficiency of movement, trying to create, the straightest line to the ball that you can, you can create for your lead hand. And that's kind of what that video is really all about. Yeah. Well, one of the things you talk about is like, let's not think about saves as like, you know, stick side high off stick high off, you know, the different quadrants. Let's right. think about it because when, when that shot's coming out, you at hundred miles an hour, you don't have time to be like, which one of those seven saves is it? Let's think right. about it as one save the shot coming at you. And so my top hand goes straight to the ball, regardless of where it is. And so I really like that. And then, you know, the lead step um, cut, cuts off the shot to get my body behind it. And I really like that yeah. simplistic way of, of thinking about the save. Yeah. And I think that, that that's the way we built the save. We built the save in two pieces. So you've got the, the lead unit, which is basically what stops the ball. Uh, and then the trail unit is your control unit. So your, your bottom hand and your trail step really designed to control the ball. And, and one of the things we ask goalies to do is go back and watch your, your film. And if you do this and break a goalie down, pause the, the film right at the point of contact, right when their lead hand connects with the ball. And you'll see that only the lead units move. Their lead step and their lead hand are the only two things that have actually initiated in that, in that, at that point. And so from, from that, the save piece, we, we built drills that basically just teach the save piece. And then we built drills that really build the control piece. So um, by breaking the save down into those two components, it kind of makes it a little easier. I know there's a lot of different philosophies out there about how the lead hand and control hand are supposed to work, how the lead step and the trail step are supposed to work. But when you break the save down over a time scale, and that's what my master's degree was in at Delaware was basically breaking down the save. That's what I, I did a lot of with imagery and a lot of uh, sports psychology stuff under Bob Schilling law that we, that I'd learned through my, my, my degree but also wow. breaking down the save and basically learning the different components of the save. And that's really, when you look at the save, you've got from the, the initial, the, the initiation of the stimulus. Um, and that's where goalies get guessing. So you have pre-stimulus cues. So I'm seeing how the stick is starting yep. to unravel in the shot. And that may trigger me to basically to move pre pre pre-stimulus and, and, and which we all call guessing, right. but really it, it is basically, it's a false identification of stimulus. You're starting to see something you're starting to move before the actual stimulus is available for, for you to be able to evaluate. So, you know, I, I take that and I break it all the way down into a actual initiation of movement. And so now response initiation error is the idea of being able to respond in the, in, in a, in, in the inappropriate way or a choice response task, stepping in the wrong direction, because in your save, you're basically broken in half. 
So you're leading with your lead step, whichever side of the body that ball is shot to, your lead step changes. So if it's on the, my left side of my body, I'm stepping with my left foot. If it's on the right side of my body, I'm stepping with my right foot. So we, we, you know, bringing the save through that time frame, the time, watching the timeline, I got into really evaluating at what point is the trail unit moving. Mm-hmm. And then we started realizing that the trail unit doesn't really move until after the save has actually been conducted you've actually made contact with a ball or you've intercepted the point of the shot right and so we broke the save down in all in in those pieces i remember hearing that hearing you say that exact thing and i looked then at a picture of me making a save and i'm like he's right like the only thing like my hands have moved my lead step has moved and and that's i mean you could see my back my like i'm firing off of that of that trail leg right um but yeah you're definitely right about that um where could where is there where can we see that research that masters that you did or uh, it was like a thesis not published most most of the the most of the the paper is written on um the use of internal perspective imagery and goaltending in terms of how it leads to goaltender confidence uh, my goalies at delaware we ran through this study and we basically had video back then we just basically shot balls out of plexiglass and yeah. filmed it you know now you have gopros and stuff that you can put on and have but what it was it was uh, the, the the idea was that we can get the goalies to identify the stimulus at a lower state of anxiety because they're sitting and watching a video they're not actually in the cage and it allowed them to, to focus on the release point and we were mm-hmm. really attacking that initiation response and the and the errors that, that occur in our in our response and that was kind of really what we were focusing on the study was interesting because we found a couple things one they felt like they were able to better identify the stimulus um, accurately uh, by being able to watch those videos however watching the videos impacted their internal perspective imagery so imagery when you do mental imagery you can do it as if you're watching the game watching yourself play almost like a a, a, on a tv and watching Mm -hmm. you know the or you can watch it through the eyes that you're playing with and actually see what you're seeing. And so that's what we call internal perspective imagery. And so that's what the, the, the case was on. And, and basically what we found is that the video impeded the, 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 the athlete's ability to use imagery because when they closed their mind and closed their eyes and they started using their mind to recreate the save and recreate the shot uh, and the stimulus, they were only able to see what they saw on video. So it was kind of interesting how we, we kind of, we, we increased their confidence and their ability to be able to feel like they were able to identify stimulus sooner, mm. but we, we lost the ability to basically use imagery because we couldn't identify it. Like we're getting prepared to play Towson. We couldn't see the Towson Jersey. We couldn't see, you know, and that, that type of stuff that we tried to do with them. Um, so it was, it was an interesting study, but I think yeah. it led me down the road of, and I didn't do biomechanics at Delaware, but biomechanics was a big major at Delaware and Andy Shea, um, who's the head coach at Yale, who grew up with me in Cortland, New York. We played at Cortland High School together. Andy, I, when I left Delaware, I, I brought Andy in out of Morrisville and said, Andy, you know, I, I told Chills he had to hire Andy. Andy then did the, the biomechanic major. And so I kind of learned a little bit through him just how much that really, and I think that's really what we need is, you know, with the, the little balls on the, every articulation and seeing how the joints move. And that's how, what led me to a lot of the things that you see in videos. If you go down the line in those videos, you'll find some YouTube videos on wrist rotation. And just, that's the thing that changes as we talked about at the beginning of this podcast, the thing that changes from having different saves to different quadrants and having one save to every quadrant is basically the way the wrist rotates to the ball, depending Mm -hmm. upon where the ball is shot. And that's how your stick rotates. So when you do the drill where you're, you know, tossing a ball at the goalie and they're just stepping and they're catching the ball, 
that is really designed to teach their wrist the correct rotation to get to those different save points. And so as we talked about lead hand, lead unit, the lead hand driving to the ball, it's the wrist rotation that really changes where uh, the stick rotates so that you're not really making a save circular. You're making it on a straight line, but the stick is still rotating because that lead hand is the wrist is rotating the stick. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Love it. I was going to ask a question about the stim, about the stimulus. Um, and that's kind of an interesting thing to have goalies, you know, see those shots in like a very low stimulus environment, because when you're in a game for any age, any goalie, like it's a very, like, you know, your adrenaline's going, you're, you're feeling it. And a lot of youth goalies, like when they're starting out, like, let's be honest, you're scared of the ball. Right. So right. like, you know, the shot comes and you're like, you know, you're not making that movement. You're like, head goes down your knee your knees buckle and you still see it at, at you know college levels even yeah. uh, you know it's a natural reaction how do you coach or what would you say to a kid trying to overcome that the the the, the, the coach is really the most important piece of the youth goalie and that's one of the things uh, i coach with true lacrosse here in tampa we started a program last year and, and now we're in our second year of it and um with our with our younger goalies the coaches are i, I remind them constantly the practice and the warm-up is going to be everything. They're not going to reproduce what we're doing in practice right away. They're going to be in that mode where they're, you know, shelling a little bit or they're they're kind of flinching or they're guessing or they're, you know, in live game. It's going to take a long time for what we're doing with them in their in their muscle memory and their warm-ups to really take hold. Um, so that's that's the most important piece of dealing with young goalies is being patient and recognizing they're going to grow out of that. Mm -hmm. as they start to get the muscle memory down in their warm-up. So just keep warming them up, keep working with them, use tennis balls when, when, when necessary for in-type things so that they're not getting shied away from the ball. Uh, eventually, there'll be a, a point in time when you'll start to see the transfer into gameplay, and it takes a while. You yeah. have to be very patient with it. Some people are like, well, if he's afraid of the ball, why is he in the goal? Well, at the 12U level, there isn't really anybody who's not afraid of the ball. So you, you can put any guy in the cage and they're going to be, you know, there's a couple fearless guys, but those are kids who also been playing probably since they were six, seven, eight years old. So they still have about four years of experience. So it takes time, you know, and that's the biggest thing. The coaches just keep working with their muscle memory and the warmups, keep them doing things the right way, make sure that their lead step and their lead hand are going to the ball, that they're bringing the trail step through. Um, Make sure that you're working with them without the stick as much as I can. In that video, I think I talked about how the stick is basically the evil, evil. of the save because the stick is what creates all of our rotation movements, all of our circular hand movement. So as much as you can do, with and, and I love a drill with high school goalies where we just ha hammer the ball at them, but they don't have a stick. So they're actually catching the tennis ball full speed and playing mm -hmm. full speed. And then what we do is we, we put the stick in their hand put them in a lead hand situation with no, no, no backhand, no, no control hand. And then we just use the lacrosse ball and we just have them constantly making their saves with that lead hand. It takes away dipping. It takes away a lot of the circular motion to the off stick hip. It creates a, a much truer path and straighter and efficient path to the ball. Um, but going back to the youth goalie, that's, that's the most important thing is we just muscle memory, muscle memory, muscle memory, how they play in games when they make saves, get them fired up when they get scored on, you know, Short memory, move on. Next thing, um, yeah. you know that's really I think the important piece of the of the of the youth goalie. Yeah, that's been my answer as of late too. Is just reps. You know how do I how do I get how do I get rid of that that flinch or being scared of the reps? And that's kind of that's kind of what you're saying as well. Um, and good good quality reps, right? Not not bad reps, but good quality reps and 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 patience, reps and patience. Um, 
Love that. Love that drill. So, so you, you, you know, you're just using your top hand. Maybe you've got an attack stick and you're just taking shots and that really forces you to do, to go, you know, be efficient with your movements, right? Top hand straight to the ball. Cause now it's obvious. Like if there's a shot to my off stick side, it's pretty obvious that I'm not going to go, you know, in a, that's U, exactly the point. Yes. In a U motion to make that save. So I, I really like that one. Yeah. Um, and that's, and so we, what we do is we break the save down and then we basically drill each ball's piece of it. So we have lead hand, lead step. All right. With no control hand. And then we go with lead hand, lead and trail step. So no control hand still. Then we'll do control drill where we'll basically sit no feet. And now we basically just use our hands and we work on that bottom hand pop because we don't want the top hand to give. We want the top hand to drive through the save, but we need the stick to make that motion. And the way we get that motion is by having that bottom hand pop. So we drive and pop, drive and pop. The wrist rotation is really important with the feet not being able to move. And people will watch us warm up goalies and be like, how come you don't want your goalie to step? I'm like, it's a, it's a drill. It's not, mm -hmm. we're trying to, and the other thing is because you can't step that off stick save you're reaching and now you're getting full extension. And that's one of the things when you go to college practice, you'll hear probably more than anything from the goalie coach, extend, 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 you know, lead hand extension is such a big part of, you know, of the save, especially at the college level, getting mm -hmm. that lead hand to extend and drive to the ball and drive through the line of the shot. So make sure that you're not, because you don't want to pull your, it's like a sprint. I'm not going to slow down to the 40 yard sprint. Am I going to slow down and stop on the 40 or am I going to explode right through it? I'm going to have right. a better time if I explode right through it. It's the same thing with the lead hand and the save. We've got to explode through the point of contact. We can't stop at the point of contact and give. So right. the way the stick moves, if we punch the bottom hand, the give motion will happen with the head of the stick, even though the top hand is still driving. Um, so that's, you know, breaking the save down and then we do a control step drill. And this is a drill Notre Dame did this, um, when, uh, Jerry Byrne was there, they had this with a football, they did it, but we do it just pipe to pipe drill. So we basically create twice the cage, put them on a pipe, have them flat on the goal line. And now I'm driving and getting my trail step through. I've got twice the cage to cover. So my trail step has to come. So lead hand, lead step, lead hand, leading control step, uh, control hand drill. And then pipe to pipe basically is, is for trail stepping. But the, um, the, the pipe, the, the, to, the pipe to pipe, they're just set up on one pipe and they make a save yeah. on the other pipe. Yeah. We're just, okay. we just create twice the cage basically. Yep. So their feet yep. have to, and that's really good for goalies that don't have good feet. If you're not driving through, if they're not able to get a good balance step off of their first initial, cause you know, your footwork, you know, you've got one step footwork, which a lot of goalies have to grow out of. And then it becomes one step and it's the same concept. We have to drive through the save so that first step goes, and then there has to be trail step. There has to be some type of balance at the end. So when yeah. you see goalies drive through and kind of almost a, like a little shuffle at the end, that's them getting their balance back after driving through the save. Any goalie that one steps and, and brings a trail step, they're not getting through the line of the shot at, at full speed because they're actually slowing down and making the save at the same time. So right. the trail, the trail step drill allows us to be able to get that trail step really coming. And it's a vector game, your lead step vector, the direction that it goes to intercept the line of the shot trail step has to move on that same vector. A lot of goalies, a lot of goalie coaches say toe to heel, uh, keep your hips square, but it's really, that's about the vector that your feet move. If your lead step goes in one vector to dissect the, to intersect the line of the shot, and then your trail step starts going in a different direction, then you basically stop movement to the shot and you're starting to kind of go in a different direction. That's why goalies hips turn away from the shooter. So, you know, people say, keep your hips square. People say, yeah. you know, toe to heel, but the yeah. idea is that those steps have to move in the same vector because it needs to keep your momentum going through interception, the interception point of the shot. And that's what that, yeah. that's that pipe to pipe drill will help work on. 
Love it. Love it. With um, in that video, you know, you sort of preach a, a 45 degree step kind of attacking the ball, um, which I do, too, for youth for youth kids. Um, I think it just gets them in the right mindset. A lot of goalies now take a lateral step. What, what is your what is your what is so, your yeah, there, approach? There's there? a couple things on, on, on goalie play that I think I'm a little different on. The first one is the, the most direct line to the intercepting point of the shot is really important. So we'll shoot on goalies where we shoot to their shoulders. Um, mm -hmm. that line, shoulder, knee, and we want that step to be a lot more vertical. In other words, I want to step to that line of shot. I want my interception point to meet that line of shot. If the shot's a little wider, I open my step, and if the shot's really wide of the pipe, then I should be much flatter. So that's mm -hmm. kind of the way that I teach it because I'm teaching a straight-line theory, so I need to get straight line to the interception point of the shot as fast as possible. If the shot is wider, then my step has to be flatter. So see, we don't yeah. we don't really subscribe to the 45 degree theory. I think in youth, yes, we will do that because it's easy to understand. Right. But as we start to get more developed with goalies and get them into the college game or even the program game, it's so important that our step is 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 designed to take our lead hand to the ball to the shot. And that shot coming at a different angle is going to create a lead step angle that's going to be. A different width so it's either just shots right at me i'm stepping right at it yeah. if the shot is a little bit wider you know about 45 degree angles probably good and if the shot's gonna be right on the post and i have to flatten out i have to get my lead step across the line of the shot so if it's a yeah. wider shot that's a wider step if it's a narrower shot or you know coming more at my body that step can be a little bit sharper um, but that's really the way that that we look at it um, yeah so there's not no no real easy steadfast rule other than get your foot across the line of the shot. Yeah. Um, the other thing that you broke down really easily that I really loved was the stance, the stance. And it was like, you know, there's a lot of nitpicking about, well, you know, do hands go here? You know, do I, my feet are here, this, that, that, you know, all of these different elements that go into a perfect stance and the video that I saw, you're like, let's throw all that out. Let's put my, let's put my hand in the middle of the cage and bring my body up to support it athletically. And as long as you're like respecting that rule, and I still use that with kids to these days, as long as you're respecting that rule, you're going to have as good of a stance as I think you said, as, as anyone. So, um, are you still, are you still coach that way. Yeah, a hundred percent. And and the thing about stance, and this is the really most important thing is it's about how you're coiled. If you're coiled and drop down, in other words, if your knees bend down, and you're and you're you're straight up and down. Then you're basically you're coiling your body to explode upwards. And goalie isn't really a jumping position. It's more of a kind of a attacking um, forward position. So the the most important thing about that athleticism is your body needs to be coiled and leaned in the direction that you need to move to save. So drawing a line between your shoulder, your knees, and your toes that is leaned forward is usually a good general principle as a goalie coach to mm -hmm. look at if you're goaltender. The other thing is, you know, it's just like squatting. If you want an explosive squat, you break your hips first. And you're in, and, and that's the big thing getting into your ready position is, you know, getting in that athletic stance, having your hips break first so that you're built to go forward. If your knees break first, then you're basically coiling down and getting yourself a chance, you know, basically looking to jump. What that'll do is it'll create the need for you to be able to reset yourself as the ball is being shot. And so it takes time away. Same thing with width of stance. You've got goalies that goalie coaches that have these really wide stances, um, which I understand and I appreciate. The problem is from point of center, if I'm stepping to the ball with my left foot, 
however further my right foot is from line of center, that limits how wide my stride is. My stride is only so wide. So it right. limits how many inches I can get to the yeah. ball. So bringing feet closer together gives me more stride on ball side, but then it also might not give me enough push. So then the fault step starts to happen. Yeah. So goaltending, a lot of it has to do in, 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 when it comes to the ready position, it's really about trying to design something that can be true to the stimulus. In other words, I don't have to change what I'm doing to be able to react to the stimulus at my, at my quickest and best, most athletic maneuver. So while I give them general principles, get your hand because I need to drive my hand straight to every quadrant of the cage, starting in the middle of the cage is really important for me. But then also when it comes to width of, of step, that's going to change based upon what I'm seeing in terms of how they react. If they're fault stepping, then I feel like their feet are too, too narrow. If they mm -hmm. can't get their foot along across the line of the shot, their feet may be too wide. Yeah. Um, and that stuff you, you, with goalies, you, you, you mess with that stuff for forever. I, as a goalie, I don't think I ever played, you know, two seasons where I had my feet the same width apart. It always changed based upon what my hiccup was, you know, yeah, interesting. Was like chasing, chasing that, you're chasing that one inefficient thing you have. And it just, it's like a disease. It just keeps going around you. Like, sure. it's like catching your own flu, you know, you're, you're, you know, my lead hands dropping or my, my I'm, I'm fault stepping or I'm not getting my hip square through the save or, you know, it's constant, you know, it's like the art of motorcycle maintenance, the book, you have to <laughs> learn how to fix yourself um, as a goalie. And that's, right. you know, the other well, thing, goalies have to watch film. 100% agree. 100% agree. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, any sport of repetition, like making the save is, I mean, it's a movement of repetition. Like it's so easy to get off, like, you know, baseball players talk about like getting off in their swing or pitchers getting off in their, in their windup. Um, and yeah, the film really brings it out, you know, and, and not just watching film of like the bad moments, but like also the, like when, when I'm playing my best, like this is how, this is what I'm doing. So I, I hundred percent agree with that. Yeah. And baseball is a good example because you got two batters. One comes up, he's got a really close stance. Next guy comes up, is a really open stance. And it's like, well, they're, aren't they both trying to hit the ball? Yeah, they right, right. But yeah. they both have something in their, in their mechanism that that stance is countering. And that's kind of the way I think goalies need to look at it is your, your, your stance, your general principles, of your stance are really kind of consistent across the board. But then it's like how you move, how you react, you know, what your body type is. The, the wingspan is a big part of goaltending, like having long arms and long legs. If you have, those things and you have the ability to do some things different than a goalie that doesn't have the, so people talk about height, a goalie, you know, and they talk about yeah. you playing your arc and stuff. And I, I don't really subscribe to that. I think, you know, what your wingspan is, what your ability to get across, you know, certain paths of the ball, that's how he's going to determine where you're, where you're ready to position. I, I think from position, not to get in a whole nother subject, but position wise, I think you, I call it the floating arc. I think your positioning should change based upon situations. If you've got a four and three break, you should be a lot tighter to the goal line because you're going to move a lot. You know, they're going to mm -hmm. hit the point guy down the side, maybe cross cage. You mm -hmm. need to be tighter to the cage. If you got a guy shooting on the run, um, you know, we use a pivot position where as you start to break out of the, the center, we ask you to pivot first and then move so that you basically that pivot step holds you and keeps you behind the shot. Same thing coming around the cage. I like goalies to be square with shooters coming around the goal. A lot of goalies like to be on that kind of that 45 where they're kind of playing a little bit angled. You're giving the shooter more cage. I'd rather be square. And then as he starts to get that step, and this is something that Fip and I used to work at, worked on a lot, getting ready to play against Lee. They, Denver used to run this counter and Lee would come off the counter and basically just shoot right back pipe. And so, you know, Fipper was getting ahead of him. So we just slowed him down by pivoting as he came across. And a lot of two man game gives you this look that's across the top kind of look. 
and he would pivot and sit and, and, and Lee would shoot it right back, basically right at his right foot. Mm -hmm. So there's so many pieces of the game that, I mean, you learn watching these, um, these top guys, um, you know, like Phipps and those guys. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's like, you know, it's like I'm warming Phipps up for a game, but it's like, man, I'm, I'm learning from Phipps every step of the way. This guy <laughs> has forgotten more about Colton than I think anybody out there has ever known. And he knows it all. He, he knows every part of what's works for him, but he also can look at other goalies uh, from scouting reports perspective and pick them apart. And he's just, you know, fantastic lacrosse mind. Yeah. Phipps. Yeah. I, I, I've had him on the podcast and they also, presented at this event that I did. Um, and he's awesome. Awesome. And loves to give back to the game too. I mean, as I'm sure you do, you know, that's kind of like a, a cool thing about lacrosse is it's given us so much that like this, this is our gift back to it, which is great. Um, I was going to ask you a question about, um, Oh, the hips, the hips firing, the hips firing. You mentioned kind of, that's like the first movement. Like, is, are there drills that you do, you know, with youth or, you know, how do you kind of coach that if you don't see it happening in a goalie? Well, I think th there's a couple things. One, it's just like uh, you're basically movement in the goal. You're like doing a one-step one step shuffle. That's really kind of a good way to illustrate it with young goalies. So if you push, um, you know, if you push uh, a goalie to be able to do that multiple times, it's like overtraining. So we have a drill we do where we have the goalies basically do their step and then they shuffle, shuffle, shuffle while they're also extending, extending, extending. So we call it three-step shuffle drill. That's a drill that really, I think, does a really good job of helping goalies kind of learn how to fire their, their lead step through. Um, there's also the one-step drill that we just talked about, the lead hand, but doing it, your save technique with just one step, one step, one step. And that's good for your initiation of movement and getting that choice response down. Yeah. Um, those are two drills that we do, I think, that are really important uh, to help the goalies kind of get their, their hips through. But you know, it, it's just like anything else. You you can just, if you just take the movement and try to find a way to maybe overtrain it a little bit, that's a good way to drill it. So, um, you know, if you want to get stronger, you bench, you know, if you want to get faster, you, 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 you work on your hip, you know, flexible flexor movements, you work on your explosive step, you work on box jumps, you work on all these things to get faster. It's the same thing in the goal. I mean, it really has a lot to do with just your athletic performance and your ability to move the, the thing we see with a lot of youth goalies is you got a guy who's not quite as athletic. So he's the goalie, you know, yeah. you're, you're starting the wrong way because really it should be the most athletic kid that you put in the cage because it literally is the most athletic position on the field. If you think about it, the, the speed at which you have to initiate movement and get to a spot is, is second to none in the game of lacrosse with the exception of maybe the faceoff X. Mm -hmm. And even at the faceoff X, you can, you can have a guy with really quick hands and not great feet. Um, you know, in the goal, you can have really quick hands, but if you don't have quick feet to go along with it, you're going to, you're going to max out at some point. So, you know, I think that that's kind of a piece of that. And especially for the young, young kids, you know, jump rope, like just little things, little things that we all know work very important, you know, box jumps, you know, line jumping, anything you can do to create athletic movement is, is really important to the progress of your goalie. Yeah. Love it. So kind of jumping into your career a little bit, um, you know, you were, you were the head coach of, of the Providence program for what, 14 years you were telling me, how do you, um, you know, when you were a head coach, did you have like a goalie coach or were you the one working with the goalies or if someone's like leading a program, how, how could they think about working the goalie, uh, you know, getting the goalies the right amount of training? 
Yeah, I think, you know, no matter what, if you're if you're a division one head coach or if you're and I think you'll you'll go there are division one head coaches that are goalie coaches as well. Charlie Toomey's a perfect example. Right. It's just really hard to 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 separate. Uh, it'd be like a, a head coach also being the offensive coordinator or the quarterback's coach. It's just you need the tedious level of detail. When I, my first coaching job was at Notre Dame, Kevin Corgan hired me and I basically he said, just goalies, just do the goalies. And I used to sit up at knees. I'd be on my knees on the goal line extended and just watch the goalies feet. And that's that's a huge piece of, of goaltending. I just watched my goalies feet. Uh, I had um, uh, Chris Parent and uh, Ryan Jewell and Pat Finn were my goalies. And I would just watch their feet, watch their feet. And as I was learning and training myself as a young goalie coach, I found that to be just there's no way a head coach can take the time to just watch his goalie's feet right. all practice. So right. <laughs> it's really important. Um, you know, even, even now as, as you know, a, an NAIA head coach, it's really important to have uh, someone that can work with the goalies. You know, one, one of my goalies, Alex Cordero played for me in his youth program here in Tampa, went to Wingate was all conference at Wingate and then left Wingate. Uh, and we picked him up uh, off the waiver wire, if you will. And, uh, you know, he, he's now at Weber and, and he knows so much because I've trained him since he was in eighth grade. And, and so he knows everything that I'm going to say before I even say it. So it helps to have that kind of connection, but goalie coaches are so important. And, and, and in our true program, I've got four, three goalie, four goalie coaches in, in just the true Tampa program. I've got a goalie coach at the 12 U level. I've got one that works back and forth with the 14s. I've got, um, you know, a high school goalie coach and then myself. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, you know, it's so important, you know, to have a, a goalie coach and they're out there. Goalies are, you know, they're everywhere. So if someone's questioning whether they think they should or should not have a goalie coach, I would say, you know, that that's probably going to be the most important investment you make besides a faceoff coach. Those two, those two positions. Well, yeah, you know, it's hard to win without those two. So you need to have goalie coaches. And at Providence, when I had Ron Westgate, it was great. So I had a goalie coach who played for me and knew everything that I, you know, that I, I liked and wanted. But there were times also when we didn't have that luxury and I, I would, I would work with the goalies myself. Yeah. I mean, you gotta, have, maybe it's a little bit biased on a lacrosse goalie podcast, but you gotta, you gotta have a goalie. Co <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, advocating for goalies to be employed. I love yeah, it. Yeah. There you go. Uh, I mean, nothing else like, you know, there's this whole mental side of the position, which we can talk about later. And like, if you don't have a coach, if you don't have somebody like there helping you, all of a sudden it's, it's just, to me, it's way different than any other position. You know, you've got this whole mental side when you screw up, you got this whole, like, who do I lean on when I screw up? Yeah. Right. And, yes. and that, that is, you know what you're touching on, I think probably the most important piece of the goalie coach, especially in the college level, but to have that in between, because the, the head coach, everything the head coach says is really just carried with so much more weight. So <laughs> this is a perfect example. When I was coaching at Notre Dame, uh, Chris Parent was one of the goalies who I mentioned earlier. Chris was just having a day against Ohio Wesleyan. We, we, we back then we we played some Division three teams because in the Midwest you just took the games you could take. And um, you know Chris is just you know we're 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 beating Ohio Wesleyan like you know five three or something. I can't remember the score, but I mean Chris is the only reason why we're winning the game. I mean he's got like seventeen saves and he's just having a day, and he's actually asking for the ball to be shot at him during the game now. Yeah, it's probably not good sportsmanship, but he's just having it. He's feeling it. So he's like, shoot, shoot, you know, no. And, uh, you know, Kev turns to me and he says, can you get him to stop, you know, talking to the goal, to the other team or whatever, stop, whatever. Yeah. And I just kind of was like, yeah, I got it. And I just, you know, I'm like, I'm not saying a word to the kid. He's, <laughs> he's, yeah. he's in his zone. I'm not going to break the zone. 
Right. But that filter between what the head coach wants and what the goalie needs to hear and what the goalie needs sometimes. And the head coach is like, listen, I don't have time for all the psychology of it. I just need the ball not to go in the cage. Can we figure that out? Or I need the ball not to be thrown late up the field in the middle of the field for a turnover in the clear. Yeah. Can you get that done for me? Uh, and then the goalie coach can often kind of massage that message in a way to, to make it a little bit more palatable, a little more positive for the, uh, you know, for the goalie. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm the same, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for my goalies because it's, you know, coming from the head coach. So when they turn the ball over, it's, you know, <laughs> it's right. coming from me and it's also the goalie coach. And at that moment, I'm not the goalie coach, I'm the head coach. And I'm like, listen, I, you know, I just can't afford another, another clearing turnover. We got a shot. We got a shot to win here. Let's uh, let's not give the ball back every time we make a save, but yep. luckily for me, Cordero is good enough right now where he's, if he throws it away, he's making <laughs> another save, making so. those saves. Yeah. And the other thing too, is, you know, it's like you said, uh, there's a lot of goalies out there, you know, college kids in the area would, would, if they got the time, like they would love to coach the youth. Like there's probably some parents, you know, there's a lot of goalie coaching content on YouTube, on Instagram. Like I put out a lot of stuff. Like if you're, a, even if you've never played this sport, like I guarantee you could learn it to a level to where, you know, what you're looking at and you could be helpful. Absolutely. As a, as a coach, parents, that's the thing. Parents also have to understand that, when their goalie goes to a goalie camp, if you want to learn the position, be available, yeah. be there. Like when I, when I, that, that session you saw at the camp at Providence, that, that, that YouTube video, that ancient YouTube video that you pulled out, that is right in the stands and behind the camera are the parents and they're, and we do it right there because I want the parents to see what we're teaching. I want the parents to be access it. Um, some, co some coaches don't want the parents involved in everything. And I'm one of those parents coaches that does like I at, at true practices I want my parents as close to the actions they get I want them to hear everything they can part of it is because I want them to understand what we're saying and so when they're if their young player has a question later that they can answer mm -hmm. but also I want them to see the coaching going on and I want them to to to, to appreciate it that that how hard the coaches work and also as, as a control mechanism if there's something I can't see and they see something that they don't think is 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 being done the right way I want the feedback because I want to be able to provide feedback right. to my coaches and make sure my coaches are learning and they're growing and they're getting better. Uh, you know, I don't subscribe to this feeling that parents and coaches are supposed to be separated. I feel like parent and coaches need to be on the same page so that the player can be held accountable. And the player has, you know, a, you know, a, a, a very generic and kind of inclusive resource to go to when they need help to go to the parent or to the coach and they're getting the same constant message from both. Um, so that's, yeah. that's maybe a little something that you, you grow into as you get a little older, I'm sure people watching this podcast that played for me in my earlier days as a coach and be like, yeah, that's, that's not the way it was coach. But <laughs> you, know, you, you grow, you grow into who you are and, and you start to develop and you get older and you, you start to really appreciate um, more than just, you know, the coaching piece that there's a lot more to this than just, you know, the coaches and the players. Yeah. What, what would you tell a uh, goalie mom or dad that's sort of brand new to the position uh, and their kid just got into it? Um, get them, get them as much time with goalie coaches as you can. Um, you know, it's really important. I think, uh, any free clinics that, you know, we have free clinics that we provide down here in the Tampa area, nice. um, from true. We just did one at St. Pete. It was awesome. We had like 50 kids and there was only two goalies there. And it's like, just why wouldn't you, you know, you have a goalie coach, let's get in front of the goalie coach, spend as much time, private lessons. I know that they can get expensive and I get that. But even just small groups, if you have a couple goalies and you can say, hey, goalie coach, well, you know, can you cut us a break if we get you three goalies at once? Just doing whatever you can to get in front of um, to get that work, uh, even even in a program like True Tampa that has four goalie coaches 
we still can't give the goalies enough attention. It just, because we need them in drills. We need them to develop their game savviness. We need them to develop, as we talked about, that live play uh, repetitions that are so important. Um, but yeah, that's the, the most important piece of it is that is really yeah. that the time that they spend uh, with goalie coaches and going to goalie specific camps. That's how I learned. I, I never had a goalie coach growing up in central New York. I went to Cortland high school, um, Don King and, and John Spallone were my coaches and they were awesome, but they weren't goalie specific. So I learned by going and working with these, you know, I, I work with Billy pilot at random camps. I work with, oh, nice. you know, all these goalie coaches and you know, they, that's how I learned how to play goalie. Yeah. Same here. I mean, I, I played at Cal in the MCLA and I learned from the starter and we were out there. I mean, I just picked his brain on it, every single thing. Um, and there wasn't much, you know, this is 2003. So there wasn't the Chris Burdick famous YouTube video. We've been referencing this entire, <laughs> this entire show, but um, videos get a lot more, a lot more credit than it, than it, than it deserves. No, it's, I'm telling you, it's great. Um, awesome. Yeah. Love it. But anyway, my, my point was, um, you know, there's a lot of resources out there and, and to your point, take advantage of all of them, take advantage of all of them. Uh, you mentioned and just things sit- like this. This is awesome, Damon. I, I love this. Like this, the lax rat stuff and, and getting, just getting content out for goalies, getting a place for goalies to go, yeah. listening to goalies talk. I mean, it's great. It's great stuff. I love it. It's the best part of my day right here. <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned just watching the feet, just watching the feet, uh, you know, for someone who's like, well, well, what am I looking for? What, how do you describe, you know, what, what you're doing there? Yeah, it's really easy. You know, again, on the timeline of the shot, you're looking for initiation. You're looking for a step initiation. You want to make sure the step is not um, that there's not a false step, that the yep. initial step is in the direction of the shot. You want you're looking for line to the ball. Um, you're looking to make sure that step is cutting the, the line of the shot off. So we talked about vertical 45 lateral stepping, um, trail stepping and vectors. You're making sure the trail step vector is going in the same direction as a lead step vector. So as those feet move, um, the body isn't turning away from the shooter. Um, the other thing I think is, is really good is, is a lot of people don't realize this, but when the heel of the lead step hits the ground first, the body tends not to come through the save. And since the point of the lead step is to get the lead hand through the save, that's really what it's designed to do. If the heel, if your foot step, if your lead step steps to the heel first, then your body stays behind the step. Mm-hmm. So you're not really, so now you're basically stepping and reaching and the body's not moving. So it's really important when you watch those feet, how they land on the, on the ground is going to give you the idea of whether your heel stepping and your body's staying. And if you, if you pause it, when the heel touches the ground, you'll see the body hasn't moved mm-hmm. and it's just hand and foot thrown at the ball versus if the lead step lands a little bit more towards the balls of the feet. I mean, it'll never be completely flat. It's going to always land a little heel first, but you can see the difference of how the body moves along with the step through the save. So, I mean, those are some of the things that I'm looking at yeah. uh, when I look at the feet. And I think the feet tell me everything about the save I need to know. Yeah. Um, Love so, it. Love it. Know. Is there anything um, you mentioned, you know, being a little bit, maybe a little bit, call it old school in some of the tactics. Is there anything that you've heard from like a current goalie coach or some something that you see goalies doing nowadays that you're like, no, nah, I don't, I don't agree with that whatsoever. I really, the positioning one is the one that gets me the worst uh, goalies when the ball's behind and the goalies are on the pipe and playing flat, like a hockey goalie does when the puck's behind the net, mm-hmm. it just doesn't make any sense to me. If a, if a feeder, if a, if a player is in a feeding position, then my defense in front of the cage has got to play strong one side or the other. And mm-hmm. since the most dangerous cut is a front cut, I want my defenders to kind of shield and shed their, we call the shed 
it's a Notre Dame term, shedding your man, but we want to shed ball side. So when I'm calling back right, I want my player to be on the, the, the right-hand side of that, of that attacker on the crease. That mm-hmm. means he's susceptible to a back cut to the back pipe. So as a goalie, I'd prefer to have my goalie play backside pivot position is what we call it, where he's playing the weak side feed Oppo- and opposite. the front side. Yeah, he's kind of opposite, but he's right. not, it's not a reverse arc. He's just in a, from point of center, he's on the backside of point of center, of line of center. Okay. And then basically if the feed comes to the front side, he's going to pivot and, and, and pivot and close the door on that front side feed. But also if the feed goes to the back pipe, he can pivot on the other foot. Yeah. It's like a two, two swing and hinge. He can pivot to get to that, but he has to be able to take away that feed to the back pipe, to that cutter, to the back pipe. So my defense can play heavy ball side. And that's one of the things I really don't like that, that goalies that, that people teach is, and also on the pipe being kind of angled instead of being square with the shooter. Like I said, I want to be square with the shooter while he's a shooter coming around the net. And then as he starts to come, I'll pivot. So my foot never leaves the pipe, but that'll help me stay flat with him and create more ability. I don't know if you saw the save, the save that um, Phipps made in the Denver game in 2020 when I forget who it was, comes up underneath the goal line, what we call an ugly dodge, U-G-L-E, up the goal line extended, and basically dives across and Fipper gets really flat and basically just steps lateral across the goal mouth mm. and makes a save. It's the best save I've ever seen in my entire life with the exception of Quint Kessnich's cross-cage diving save in one of the Final Fours that he made, which was literally the best save ever. If anybody wants to argue that that wasn't the best save ever, then you know, show it to me. We can, we can debate. We can debate. We can debate. I got some good options. <laughs> Kessinich had a diving cross cage save in, in maybe a championship game or a semifinal. Oh, I forget who was against Cornell. I don't, I don't even remember. But it, I remember as a kid growing up seeing that save and being like, wow, because I was a Larry Quinn guy. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, Kessinich is great, but I'm a Larry Quinn guy. You know, I was I was a Tom Sears. That's Tom Sears right here. Yeah, that's Tom Sears oh, nice. from Carolina. He was okay. my guy. That was my guy. That's the guy I grew up watching, but, um, and Peter Sheehan from Virginia, those guys were my guys, but I mean, the positioning on the pipe to make yourself smaller. And we used to battle back and forth, Nico and I battle about it. And I'd say, Nico, you gotta be square when this guy's rapping coming around the cage. And, you know, those are some of the things that I kind of, I, 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 I don't really, you know, save technique wise, there's, you know, the quick circle and the, and the, you know, the, the gas pedal and steering wheel, uh, coach Galloway. I mean, it all makes sense. It's all, he's a fantastic goaltender. I think it's, I don't have any problem with goalies learning that stuff. Um, but I just think that the, the idea of the lead hand getting straight to the ball, I, you can't argue that kind of logic. It's mm-hmm. the straightest path between two distance. The quickest way to get somewhere is in a straight line. So as long as your top hand is driving to where it needs to go, I think it really, everything else, the steering wheel concept is about really wrist rotation. And we're already covering that a little bit um in, in what we teach but there i don't think there's a wrong way to play goaltending to play goalie i think there's just what are you gaining and what are you giving up everything right. you do in the cage is about you know doc used to just basically just step off his line you know hopkins guys coming down the alley and doc would just step off his line and take the far pipe away and they'd shoot the ball right at him and he'd just yeah. get hit <laughs> yeah. just, just smarter than the shooters you know what i mean i mean that's just the way he was a, a mental a really gifted mental goalie. He would mess with shooters' minds. He would just drive them crazy because he would be outthinking them. Um, so there's there's no right or wrong way to do it, but you need to understand when you put a technique in what is the advantage, what are you gaining, and what are you giving up? It's like a 10-man ride. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're gaining pressure on the ball, but your cage is exposed. So 
if you don't do the pressure on the ball part right, then you have to deal the consequence of the cage being exposed. Yep. Yeah. Um, I usually ask, I usually ask what, what goalies did you learn from, or, you know, some of the guys you like to watch growing up, you mentioned, you mentioned a bunch right there. Uh, did we get them all or are there, are there some other, other well, goalies? Jim Braun, I have to give a shout out to Jimmy Braun, Cortland state, Jimmy where Braun. I grew up. I was a ball boy for Cortland state. Jerry DeMeo uh, gave me a, 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 you know, Long Island guy gave me a great na- nickname. He called me the can't, you know, can't say the word, the leaping ball fetcher was he's like, ball boys <laughs> too, too, too light. He's like, let's give you a tough name. But Jimmy Braun gave me my first goalie stick. And I remember we um, played Ithaca one year at Chugger Davis Field in Cortland. And uh, we lost, I think, in overtime to Ithaca. And I broke the stick along the, 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 the goalposts, the football goalposts, because I was so upset. Yeah. But um, uh, and I, I was devastated by it. It was I was, you know, but that was my first goalie stick. And uh, but Jimmy used to turn when they played teams, you know, they would be way up on. Uh, he would turn and have a catch with me during the game. And he'd just be like, tell me when they're coming. And he from the sideline. No, he, I would be behind the cage as the ball boy and he turned got back. It, got it, got it, got it. Yeah. Catch with me. Yeah. And he'd just tell me, let me know when they're coming. And he would never look. He would trust me as a you know, eight year old, 100% that I was going to tell him, here, here they come. And, yeah. um, but just, just, and that's, you know, he was the guy that started goaltending for me. When I was at Delaware, uh, we had a couple games where we got up big on people. I mean, we weren't the, the same level of, of what DeLuca's team is right now. But um, I had a ball boy um, that I turned and I had catches with uh, when I was the starting goalie at Delaware. To, it's to a good move. That on, pay that forward. But yeah, Jimmy Braun has to go down as, as the guy. He's the guy that really, um, you know, got me into, into it. My father was a history professor at Cortland State. So I'd go over and I'd, I went to grade school on the campus. So I'd walk down to practice and hang out with the team and, and do all that. And that was so much fun. Yeah. But, you know, Tom Sears was my first real just the guy. I was yep. Tom Sears all the way, Carolina. And I saw him play live at Loyola once. And, and I was just awestruck by him, awestruck by him. Um, but I've, I've loved watching, you know, like I said, Quint, uh, Larry Quinn, Quint Kastanich. I watched all the Q's goalies growing up. Um, yep. Nims was, was one that I loved because he was so different than me. His technique was so different. And then I grew up playing against Maddie Pound. We were in the same conference and, yep. um, you know, so I've always enjoyed watching Maddie play in his football pants and yeah. he ended up doing some of our games as a ref. And it was pretty fun uh, just connecting with Maddie. And so there's just so many great goalies. It's hard. Peter Sheehan, when I when I started opposite Peter Sheehan at Delaware, at, we played at Hofstra. He was with Virginia. I, I just was like it was that moment, like when you're going up against Tom Brady as a rookie quarterback, you're just like, wow, that's Peter Sheehan's in the other net. Um, yeah. So it was. Yeah, it. it's it's. You can't, you know, that's why you want so many kids to have the opportunity to play college lacrosse because, God, the things that you get out of it, the memories and things you don't even remember are just so phenomenal. They're so great. 100% agree with that. I mean, I just have the best memories of, you know, stretching, pre-practice stretching with the team and and BSing (laughs) around, you know, and it's just just so much fun. What was it about the goalie position for you that, you know, made you really stick with it? Well, I wanted to be a goalie growing up, but I was really good. I was a really good stick handler and midfielder, and I, I ran a lot as a goalie. I was constantly out. So I would play goalie all summer, and then I'd come back, and then we had Richie Barnes, outstanding goalie for Cortland State, and then went back and won a national championship coaching Cortland State. So Richie would be the senior. I was a sophomore, so I would be Richie's backup, but they wanted me to play midfield, and I'd play midfield. And then finally my junior year, I got a chance to start, and I got a chance to play. Um, but I, I, I thought – the coolest thing watching Nislowski for Rutgers, he's another guy watching him go coast to coast and watching, you know, 
uh, Beardmore and those guys. I loved running out of the cage. I thought the hardest thing to do in the game of lacrosse is scoring as a goalie. And that was my thing. I was like, I'm going to score as a goalie. That's and as bad as that sounds is the reason why I wanted to play the position. That was the reason. <laughs> and so my high school, you know, I was able to get up field on, uh, uh, you know, uh, Nottingham High School one time, got up field and and got one. And then I got two in college, once again, one against Yale and one against Lehigh. And it's just it's an emotional just spark, you know, sure. the goal, goal. It's one of those things, especially when you're running up the field, shooting on the run like I'm getting. I'm going left-handed shooting on the run. I'm not just, you know, I had a goalie, uh, Chris, Christian Zaluski, uh scored uh, against Brown on a, against a 10 man. And when I was at Providence and it made ESPN, I, I sent it in and it got on TV and Christian actually uh, played for me this summer with uh, the Polish national. But, you know, there's a, it's a different feeling being able to hit from like three quarters field, but running down the field, like a midfielder guys go over right. your head, right. Uh, you know, they're going to take the ball away from you. And then the next year you're sticking one on the run and they're like, wait, what was that? You know, but <laughs> changes uh, yeah, the whole I momentum of the game. That's what it was. I wanted yeah. to run, you know, yeah. and I could handle really well. It was good. A lot of guys that played with me at Delaware probably argue. I wasn't that good in the cage, saving the ball. And they're probably <laughs> right. Uh, I think one of them once said to me, uh, you know, I think I read NCA approved on the ball as it went by me. It was moving slow, so slow. Burdick, what are you doing? And be low probably. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, but uh, I'd make up for it by stealing a pass, getting a ground ball, getting the ball to field. Yeah. Um, so you you started. You know, we kind of br- brushed over your career a little bit. You know, fourteen years Providence, coached with the the Polish national team. Um, but now you've started up a new program uh, at Weber, uh, which yeah. is what which is what you're telling me before we hit record. And you're saying the beauty of it is I can create a culture from zero. I can create it. You know exactly what I want. Like the question for you is what what do you want? Like, what, what do you, that's, what, what do you try to build the, as a culture? The hardest thing to be, uh, uh, you know, being in the position of starting a program is I don't want to dictate culture. I think it's fake. I think that coaches tell you, this is what we are. And the coach players, Oh yeah, yeah, that's what we are. And then the players just go off and do what they do. So the hardest part about building the culture and what we want to build at Weber is I want a true culture. I want the culture to actually, actually, you know, culture is shared belief and behavior. Too many people think culture is belief and it's, it's, this is what we're, what we intend to do. And that's not what cult, true culture is. True culture is the actual actions of, of the group. So that is the thing that I think really separates what we're doing at Weber from, you know, anything I've been part of in the past. And that is it's, it's, I'm not dictating culture. The culture is shared uh, belief and shared behaviors of our, our entire organization. And so when I'm, I'm there to steer the ship, if guys are off that off page I'll say, hey, guys, you know, is this really, you know, the direction that you want to go as, as an individual, as an athlete? Is this, where, how's mm-hmm. this contributing to what we do? But I think if you ask our players, that's the thing they're going to tell you. They're like, yeah, it was like a rough first year sometimes because they kind of didn't really understand that coach was basically mandating that they establish the culture. And now that we are starting to get it and we're starting to do it and the kids are all getting understanding now that non-dictative culture, especially in today's world, I think is just head and shoulders um the way to do stuff i don't fight our guys on stuff i don't have to fight them to go to class i don't have to argue with them over you know this that or another they want to do the stuff that they know they need to do to be successful and it's a great environment to play in because you'd never have to play off of fear you're never worried that coach is going to come down on you or in fact you know that no matter what happens that your coaches are going to be there for you and help you through whatever your your problems are um, now, granted, you know, there's certain things that are non-negotiable, and that's going to be in any organization. But right. you know, we don't bounce off of those things. Kids aren't trying to 
double talk or, you know, say one thing, do another when right. they, they, because they, they understand how important culture is to their own behavior. Right. So that's really the big, uh, the big thing that we're trying to get built at, at Weber is that true reflection that culture is a true reflection of what we do and who we are. Um, and I think that anybody in, in the organization can contribute and that's what we want to do. We want anybody in the organization to contribute to the culture so that it's not just coming from coaches. It's not just coming from the senior class. You ever hear people say, Oh, we had bad senior leadership. You know, that, that doesn't fly with me. I don't, I don't believe in that. I think that, you know, you, you as a coach, it's your job to create the culture. And so for me, my guys know that they have hundred percent ownership. And so when you have that, you can't let anybody down. You have to, you have to do the right thing because you can't allow, um, you can't, you can't allow your actions to be the thing that let everybody down. Cool. Hold on a second. I was just telling Evan works for me. We were supposed to have a call right now, but I'm going to tell him we're going to wrap it up soon. Hang on a second. I thought you were bringing in one of my players there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Ask about my, my culture, my culture talk. <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, ha ha, gotcha. Here is, here is, here is a guy from your, well, team. you know how it is. They can't point to a rule. They can't, they can't see Oh yeah. Coach yeah. Said this rule. So now I can get around it by doing this. I'm like, listen, the rules are to, to do everything at the championship level and don't do anything that's going to, you know, impact the image of our organization. Those are two yeah. easy things, two theories that they have to follow. And then from there, they have to understand what that is. So if you don't go to class, you're, you're representing the program in the bad image. You're right. hurting our opportunities to be eligible, you know, as a player, like those are the things we really need them to understand. I don't need them to, to look at a rule book and say, Oh, well, I can get around this rule. Or I can get around that rule. Kids know what, what's right and wrong. I mean, yeah. I think yeah. I've never coached Coach a, like a pro- do the right thing. And I feel like that's part of it. Yeah. I've never coached a, a program like that. So I was just kind of like, you know, processing kind of what you said in my head. But if I, you know, if I'm a head coach of a program and I want to institute like a culture of winning, right. Um, You know, which, which basically means, means like if we do not win, like I need, I kind of need to see what the team is doing. Right. Like if they're upset, like if they're, if they, if they're, you know, feeling it, then great. Like then that's the direct, like, like you said, I'm, I'm in charge of the ship. Right. But, yeah. but if they're, if they're like, nah, we didn't win. All right. That's fine. You know what I mean? Like if, yep. if that's the attitude, then you as yeah. a head coach need to like direct the that shit. Doesn't, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen where we are. And it doesn't happen a lot of places. Um, I think that maybe the best answer is process is more important than results, mm-hmm. especially when you're building process. You know, if the process is, 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 is doing everything the correct way, then what you're going to get out of it is, you know, I, there's, it just doesn't make any sense to have results be what you drive your, your, your organization. Cause then what happens when you're, when you're the Seattle Seahawks and you're three and seven at three and seven, that team could possibly go nine and seven and still make the playoffs. But if it's all about winning, then you don't have the culture really to come back from three to seven because you're, you know, guys are, you're not are jumping yeah. off the ship. So right. I, I think that the guys understanding that the game's bigger than winning and losing is something that's really important to me. And I, that's my message to them all the time. This is, this has got to be bigger than winning and losing at some point, some way, like you talk about the memories of just stretching or the bus rides, like right. we travel, wherever we travel really light. Like it is like guys can't wait to travel because we have a blast when we travel. It's, you know, my philosophy with the guys is no one's ever won a game on the way to the game and no one's ever won a game after the game's played. So don't let the fact the outcome of the game is not going to affect our 
time together and our ability to enjoy a three and a half. I mean, we have to travel a lot to get the games. There's only two NAI teams in Florida. So, you know, I want our guys to love traveling. I want our guys to love going. Like we don't have, the kids don't miss practices. They want to be at practice. Like they, like we had our last week of practices back past week and guys are like, you know, begging the trainer to let them practice because they, you know, they got injuries and stuff. I mean, I've never been part of that. You know, so I think whatever we're doing, I just know I enjoyed a lot more. I know the kids enjoy a lot more. I'm hoping that the talent is good enough so that we can win games and they can get some reward for their, their, their efforts. And I feel like we're getting there. We've got an unbelievable group of guys uh, in our second year here, and we're still building, we're still bringing transfers in. So, you know, we'll see where it goes. I mean, I could be, you know, it could be missing the mark here, but, you know, I think if kids believe that what they're doing is what the value is, then they're going to try to do the right thing. Love it. Well, coach, thank you so much for coming on. Um, we could probably talk for another two or three hours, <laughs> two or three hours, but I appreciate this, it. Yeah. Just, this, this is so not the Joe, not the Joe like, Rogan. Hey, I saw this YouTube video. What's up? <laughs> yeah. I don't do the Joe Rogan three to four hour podcast. So we'll, uh, we'll right. wrap it up right there. But, um, if you had to leave the goalies with the, with a final piece of advice, what, what would you tell them? I think, you know, the most important thing is that you have to be the example. You know, you're the guy that needs to lead by example. You have to be the hardest worker on the field. You have to be the most engaged guy off the field uh, for the upper class, you know, the, the high school and the college guys, you know, your academic level needs to be there. You need to be someone that everybody can count on um, for the younger guys, not showing up at practice as a young goalie can really impa- impact the way practice goes. So you have to be committed. You have to be there. You have to be hundred percent engaged in it. Um, and uh, you know, those are the most important pieces. They're the intangible pieces of, of leadership that really, I think the goaltending positions more is, is about. Um, and if you hit those on, if you're, if you're, if you're on that, then you're going to bring value to your organization, no matter what, you know, if you're a starter, backup, anything, you're adding value to what you do. And that's as a player, that's what you want to do. You want to add value to the deal. Love it. Coach. Thank you so much. All right, brother. Thanks, Damon. So there you have it. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with coach Chris Burdick. I love the way he breaks down the position and the save movement and the top hand movement, the trail step, trail leg movement, lead step movement, everything so scientifically. As an engineer, that really resonated with me. And when I saw that video of him talking about how to simplify the save, right? There's not seven different types of saves that we need to make. Don't think about it in terms of off stick high, off stick hip, off stick low. You know, it's one save, this, the ball that's coming at you, right? And so each time that happens, we have the same movement. Top hand goes to the ball, lead step gets outside of the shot, get our body behind it. Love that way of, uh, of thinking, and he did his master's thesis on it, which is just awesome. Hope you enjoyed that episode. I thought that was a great way to kick off 2022. A lot of great episodes coming. I've got about five or six in the can already. I've got some great episodes uh, on the calendar for this coming year that we're going to uh, do, and it's going to be great stuff. That'll do it for this week. It's January, lacrosse season coming up. Get out there. Get some work in. Do well. Be well. I'm Coach Damon. Take care. You've been listening to the Lax Goalie Rat Podcast with your host, Coach Damon Wilson.